and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Hello, and welcome to another episode of IRI Growth Insights Podcast. Today, we're talking about supporting SNAP shoppers, and I am here with Sally Lyons-Wyatt, IRI's Executive Vice President, Center of Store and Produce Vertical, who has led extensive research on supplemental nutrition assistance, as well as other nutrition services, with, including women, infants, and children, or WIC. Recently, Sally hosted a webinar, Winning Strategies for Reaching SNAP Shoppers, which is available at iriworldwide.com. And I wanted to dig in a little more on the topic because SNAP Shoppers um, represent 16% of households and account for 12% of total omni-channel dollar sales. And these benefits just go across food and beverage. So their, their reach is even beyond. I learned during the podcast that there are so many changes to SNAP benefits that have occurred over the past couple of years, but SNAP shoppers continue to drive more growth than non-SNAP participants. So Sally, let's start by talking a little bit about SNAP shoppers and some of the misconceptions we might have about these consumers. Joan, thank you so much for having me join you today and to talk about SNAP and you know, there are some misconceptions. And one is, is that you automatically think SNAP equals low income. And it does, low income does represent 34% of the shoppers. However, what they really do in the guidelines is set the eligibility for SNAP based on the size of the household, the income of the household, as well as the expenses of the household, expenses like the mortgage and utilities and childcare or any other kind of it could be elderly care that um, is needed to be spent to take care of someone. So those are the dynamics. So as you look at the snapshopper, they really do cross not only generations, but income levels. They, they live in rural, but they live in urban and suburban. They have um, various household sizes with 31% of them being in one-person households and 18% being in five-plus-person households. So they are definitely a dynamic um, and multidimensional segment of our population. And to your point, as you started out, they have buying power because they do get this supplemental income to assist them in buying the food and beverages they need in order to feed their family healthier options than without the SNAP program. Right, and their ranks have grown considerably, but their benefits have also changed over time. Um, I seem to recall a lot of stimulus, um, some increases, but I learned that 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 isn't really the case, you know, that it isn't as robust of a growth in terms of their spending power that we would think. Jenna, it's a great point. Um, 
you know, there's a lot that's happened in the last 18 to 24 months for the snapshopper that was not typical it because of COVID, right? But let's just back up for a second and let's just explain that um, there's a thrifty food plan that the government has that's used to set the SNAP benefits. And they normally do do an annual kind of vetting of the amount of money being paid out um, to the SNAP shopper. In doing that, especially during COVID, it was quickly realized that without jobs, when they were when we were in the lockdown, these families were going to need some incremental income. And so during 2020, SNAP shoppers were able to get an increase um, of roughly across the country, $2 billion um, or 40% in the spring of 2020. That was in 2020. Then we get to December, and that's 2020, when Congress basically provided a 15% increase in SNAP benefits. That went to June. But then in June, we were still in the midst of the Delta variant. And so as part of uh, the rescue plan, the American Rescue Plan, they extended the 15% through September. But then it ended. So the stimulus that was going to the SNAP participants, that ended in September. But there is this emergency kind of pandemic um, benefits that were being paid out, especially to households with children, but it was being directed state by state. So some states still have that emergency um, pandemic EBT going, but some have stopped it. So for some of these recipients, they've gone from all of the multiple different stimulus, which could have accounted for not only the SNAP, but then there's the supplemental pandemic payments that we had in 20 and 21. There's the childcare rebates. So they've had multiple pieces of income coming in, if you will, from the stimulus and from the different pandemic payments. Um, but all but potentially one um, has stopped as an incremental amount on top of the SNAP benefits. And where this started to get a little confusing, as if that wasn't confusing enough, what I just explained, but where that started to get confusing is that we all started to hear the headlines that in October, there would be an increase of roughly 25% on the SNAP benefits. But that's where walking you through the different payments is important because although there really is a, there actually is about 27%, that goes on top of the SNAP payment, the traditional SNAP payment, it's still going to be less than when you had all the additional um, stimulus checks, stimulus checks, and any of the childcare rebates. It's going to be less than the total income they were getting during those months where they were getting the stimulus checks. So I, I know, I know this is, no, I know this is so complicated and I just, I admire you and your team so much for the incredible amount of work that goes into this report. This isn't the first time you've done it. So um, all these changes certainly complicate it, but what I'm hearing you say at the end of the day is that even though there was periods of more funding um, and then there was kind of a cost of living lift through the thrifty food plan, at the end of the day, their buying power or their the amount of dollars that they have to spend, it appeared, it really, it went down. And that's rough. Yeah. We, we estimate based on 
the average payment. And again, it's they, this is average because in some areas it might be different. But from an average perspective, the CPG industry, because remember, these benefits can only be used in retail, not, not food service, out of home, or even the hot um, deli products in a restaurant. Strictly CPG, strictly at retail. That's where the dollars go. And our estimate is that without those stimulus checks, it was a loss of $3 billion per month that is now not coming in from these SNAPs through the SNAP benefit um, extra. Now, what the counter to that is, is that if these SNAP participants are indeed back at work and having an income of their own, they have money to spend outside of just the SNAP payment. So the SNAP payment is what goes to CPG. Their money, they can spend anywhere, right? But we have seen that they'll still take their own money and spend it on the food and drinks that their family needs. But again, with the stimulus stopping, it was a $3 billion decline. So that might be why you also see that these are are valuable shoppers. You know, they're driving more growth, omni-channel growth, than our non-SNAP recipients, correct? That is absolutely correct. In fact, as we were studying this, what we started to quickly find is that they had a 19% growth versus non-SNAP shoppers that had a 1% growth. So they were severely outpacing um, non-SNAP. And again, even last year, before all those additional stimulus checks, they were outpacing non-SNAP because they do have a majority of their meals at home. And they, because it is more cost effective. So those that have more disposable income might go out to a restaurant or go get their food and bring it back from a takeout or delivery. These shoppers, they are, they have to be frugal because they're living paycheck to paycheck and they're feeding multiple mouths in their household and or on limited income, even with a small um, size household. So, and this is what I want to get into today, um, kind of the, the meat of the matter, if you will, is how retailers and brands can support SNAP shoppers, uh, because this is a perfect opportunity. We don't anticipate that someone receiving SNAP benefits, a household receiving SNAP benefits, is always going to be receiving SNAP benefits, but they are looking for more resources now or more support, I would think, and what a great way to build loyalty with these shoppers so that even as they graduate out of the program, if you will, and are on their own, that they still feel that connection to the brands and retailers who kind of help them through. Very, very well said, because this is a group that if retailers and manufacturers alike really collaborate, um, these consumers are going to be loyal for a very long time. Part of what we've seen is the need for education, and it is paramount. And that education is all around how to eat differently to drive your health and well being to a better place. And in doing that, it's going to take some innovative ideas and innovative approaches. So, innovation is probably this hovering umbrella over all of the ac- action options that are for the industry. For instance, innovating around how you educate. So there are programs out there today 
that are very focused on the health and well-being. And the USDA website has some phenomenal examples of how they're doing that today. But being able to not only educate, but then link to some of those resources on the USDA, teaching the, how, how, teaching the consumer how to shop, that SNAP consumer how to shop, and potentially look at different pack sizes that reduce the cost per volume, or providing them ideas on what fresh items could be better or um, and or what frozen items might be more economical and last longer, and giving them some ideas on how to balance all that um, when in their home. Um, being able to reduce costs for them by having an imperfect fruit or imperfect vegetable program, and or even just providing videos. Engagement is so incredibly important because you've got to capture their attention. And we all know, no matter what income level, that the videos on social and digital, whether it's TikTok, Pinterest, Facebook, whatever you might use, um, we know that that engagement gets people, they look at it, right? So if there's something that catches their attention, they're going to they're gonna continue to try and find more. So being able to drive the engagement digitally with um, messaging and or short videos would be great. Also, we think um, providing list building promotions earlier in the month and even waiving online fees would help get these SNAP consumers more engaged and, and embracing. But it's not only that. So you can innovate over education. You can innovate with the engagement. But then it's what you do in the store, right? We need to be able to bundle um, different solutions because then you can get the economy of scale. And so it could be showcasing budget-friendly occasion solutions. So feed your family breakfast for $5, um, have a family dinner for 15 or 10, right? Being able to bundle those and have there something different each day so that they can continue to come in and get the variety and to get um, different menus, just as if they're going to be making their recipes themselves, but you're helping them. You're bundling things to give them a cost advantage. And I would also say that even I was talking to a friend of mine and she is a SNAP participant. And she's, she told me, she was like, I wasn't raised to go shop healthy. And whenever I try, it's too expensive. I can't, I don't know how to do it. And so that really was one of the ideas that we showcased in our thought leadership was to put a sample healthy, lower cost basket together and show what would be in that to help them because they don't necessarily, they don't know what they don't know and they just need the help. And so I am somewhat passionate about this, as you can tell, but I think it's a holistic approach. It's around pack size, it's education, it's about co-bundling, you know, and really trying to drive multiple um, points of engagement to help them get through this journey that they're on. Well, and I think many of the things that you talked about, I'm thinking of myself as a shopper not receiving SNAP benefits. And I'm like, I would like that too. I would like the recipes. I would like to know how to feed my family for less money because we're all looking at inflation right now. So I, again, I think this is great engagement for these SNAP shoppers, but for all shoppers. Can you point to maybe some retailer examples or some online engagement that you've seen that looks like it's you know, yep, this is the right fit. This is helping people. Um, you know, you mentioned that low cost basket, but what else are you seeing out there that retailers or anyone um, are producing? 
Um, so there was one example we provided in the thought leadership. It was a key foods and they did a, they did a win a learning garden, right. For your school. And it was in the, the different boroughs within the New York area. And it was really kind of a cool way to embrace this, the children in the neighborhoods to want to learn about gardening and feeding their own family um, through that. And what I loved about the whole concept is that when you start with the kids in the home, they sometimes do re- reverse parenting where they inform the parent, hey, we should go and we can make this and then we need to buy this to make this meal, right? Or if we make our own um, herb, then you can go make this recipe. And then they start to tell the parent how to cook healthier, but then they're doing them themselves. And it's like a pay it forward because if these kids grab on and the parents grab on, then when those kids get older, they're already, they're already shopping and making recipes this way. And they're going to pay it down to their kids and they're going to pass it down. One other aspect of this program that I thought was phenomenal and in, it was the key to the key food promotion was the fact that there were sponsors from named branded manufacturers. And by doing that promotion and getting their brand in front of these kids, as well as the families, it is a phenomenal small way to help educate, but drive loyalty. And we have seen through our research that SNAP consumers are very brand loyal. They're brand loyal for a few reasons. One is that they trust the brand. But the other is that it is a little, they'll pay a little extra for the brand they love because it makes them feel good. It's a little treat or reward for their hard work. And it is much easier to do that than to go out to a restaurant. But if they have $1 to spend, they wanna spend it where they know it's gonna count. And that's where brand loyalty fits in. So these programs that are like a retailer program with with random manufacturers are excellent. We obviously see some other initiatives with recipes with um, some retailers that are budget friendly, like um, a Dollar General. But the USDA, I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised with some of the programs they're doing in their communities. But some of them weren't connected with a retailer or with manufacturers. What an amazing opportunity to seek those programs out to do additional co-merchandising with those um, programs and or just sponsoring, right? Just outright sponsoring and really driving education in a positive way. And if you are so lucky to pick up a loyal to pick up one of those consumers, they will be loyal for life. Well, I do think I want to give two little plugs, and one is to that SNAP ad, which the USDA creates, that is free for all to use. And, you know, retailers, because they're expanding their own platforms, um, they're trying to offer more to shoppers. This is something that, you know, they can be picking up on. And I also want to plug, and you mentioned this, um, shoppable recipes. I mean, you mentioned some of the nice recipes that like a Dollar General might have, but shoppable recipes, either sponsored or even using store brands are another way. Because as you said, a lot of people, whether they're on SNAP or not, don't really know how to start. You know, we had a huge surge in people who upped their skills during the pandemic, but there's still a lot of people who aren't terribly comfortable in the kitchen. And anything that helps anyone be a little bit more comfortable has my vote. I just think shoppable recipes are 
easy and fun. And if you like it, you might become loyal to a new product. You know, it's funny. And this is where innovation falls in again, because I agree with you. I think shoppable recipes are really the keys for future success. And to your point, not just with snap consumers, but also just any of us. But what what I do think about the shoppable recipes where an innovation comes in is right now it's a recipe and you pick the ingredients you want to put into your basket, but we don't bundle the ingredients to provide a discount for that recipe. I think one of the innovative things that could be done is to find a way to bundle those recipes and say, you can buy all of these for X price. And then if you have some of those in your, any of the ingredients in your home and you don't need it, then you take it out. But it's still, as long as you have two or more of the items, you still get a discounted price. It doesn't feel that far away that that could happen. And I think it could be that one-stop shop and that one click to um, the register that will be important. Which, you know, is really big because from the work that I saw that you put, you put together, 20% of online food sales are coming from Snap Shoppers. Um, and that's like one of the larger channels that only trails the dollar channel where they represent 30% of the share, correct? That is correct. And growing. <laughs> that's and growing. You know, they had a pilot program that started a few years ago, and it was only in a few states and a couple of retailers. And then COVID accelerated it. And as it accelerated, it's now in all but just a couple of states. And many other retailers are now joining in. And what's interesting about that is the stumbling block for the SNAP participant is twofold. First, it was the ability to get the items, right? So, um, but the, the primary one at the beginning was they couldn't use their EBT as a payment because the technology just wasn't there outside of the pilot. And retailers worked really fast to find a way where they could use that electronic payment for um, the online. So that was one thing that was done for the last, throughout the last couple of years. But then, the, the, then it's, okay, how am I going to get it? Because some of these consumers might not live in an area they want their groceries delivered. And some of them didn't have the EBT set up. So they got really creative where they said, all right, we will just take your SNAP payment when you come to pick it up. So if you can get here to pick it up, we'll take your payment there. So they were making a little bit of an adjustment instead of having you to pay for everything outright online, they were then accounting for it when you went to pick it up. So they were getting creative. But all of that is what helped drive the online engagement because they, at the beginning, they just didn't have the ability to do that. And then the, the last thing I'll say about the online and the growth, I actually think there could be more growth if many of the retailers would just waive the cost for the service for buying online. I think there probably would be more adoption. It's an expense for the retailer, and I understand that. But again, this is the group of shoppers that are going to more than pay for that because the spending rate that they have versus non-SNAP. Well, and they could even set aside like a particular day or time of the month or, you know, they can be flexible with that as well, you know, to make sure that they're maybe offering free delivery at off-peak delivery hours for other customers, whatever that happens to look like. Um, you've, already, you've already talked about how creative and um, solutions-based retailers can be around SNAP. So it's okay to go the extra mile right? And I love your ideas. I think they're right on. So just to recap, you know, it sounds to me like 
the innovation around SNAP is not necessarily like a new product innovation. It is around education. It is around engagement. It is around solutions like occasion-based solutions. We know that almost half of these SNAP dollars are going towards meals, but that snacks and beverages are other really big categories. So there's just so many different ways of connecting and delivering. Um, and I love the whole growth with online. So many states have come on board from that single or two state pilot to now being almost all states. And there's still a lot of SNAP users out there, I think, who haven't taken advantage of it, who probably will be. But 20% is, that's pretty healthy. I mean, that's better than most consumers. So that's great. So Sally, thank you so much for this amazing work. It's so helpful to the industry. Um, it helps open the door on a very challenged part of our population. So thank you so much um, for your work and for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you, John. It was my pleasure. Okay. Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.